Hebrews chapter 10. And after I read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, I'm going to take a quick jump to Jeremiah 31. Um, you know, for those of you that may not know, you can always ask and get the outline that has all the verses in it and, and everything. Um, just ask for it, and I'll send it to you. Make sure that you get it. Okay, uh, this morning, number 11 in our message on the blood covenant. And it has been, it's been a journey. It has just been a journey. Praise the Lord. And I've gotten so much feedback and um, people said, you know, I've heard about the blood covenant. I knew about it, but boy, it, it, I'm really seeing how far reaching this is from Genesis to Revelation. So this morning, I want to um, share with you about the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what that has to do with the blood covenant. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, the writer of Hebrews is quoting <clears throat> um, God speaking through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. And he lifts this quote out of the context of Jeremiah 31. And he's making the point about Jesus Christ having come and, and provided us a new covenant, a better covenant enacted upon better promises, that his blood is speaking better things in the presence of God on our behalf. And he's talking about Jesus being the product of the new covenant. So at any rate, he lifts this quote out of Jeremiah 33. And in Hebrews 10, 16, he says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds... I will write them. And that, that jumped out at me. And so I want to I point out to you that there's that very emphatic opener. This is the covenant. So whatever he's about to say next is very important. It's this is the whole summation. This is the whole point of the new covenant. So he says this is the covenant. And it's contrasted, and I'm going to read the verse. He takes it out of he, uh, uh, Jeremiah 31. Um, but uh, he contrasts it with the old covenant. And so this is the new, the better covenant. This covenant is going to be different because I'm going to put, everyone say put. I'm going to personally put my word, my laws, my principles into your heart and in your minds. I'm going to write them. So now when Jeremiah first prophesied this, God spoke to Jeremiah and said in Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days are coming. So the writer of Hebrews, in retrospect, looks back and said, The days are here. This is the covenant. They've arrived in Jesus Christ. But Jeremiah prophesies, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with them, with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. So as a result of whatever he's going to do in the new covenant, and I'm sure that um, even people like Isaiah and Jeremiah had to have been curious and wondering, well, how is God going 
to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant? How is he going to bring forth that third new, as, as Paul described it, the new creation that's going to lift broken humanity and succeed where every other human has failed and reunite us with God? And there may have been some of them, they certainly prophesied it, whether they understood what they were prophesying, but there were certainly some of them that probably saw um, that uh, the way God's going to do it is he's going to come and he is going to take on human nature himself. And as a man, he is going to be the Lamb of God, do for us what none of us could have done for ourselves. So they may have foreseen it. They certainly prophesied it. But the word about the new covenant is saying that as a result of that happening, what the, what the, uh, what the net result is going to be is that the Lord is going to put his word on the inside of us. Wow, what could that possibly mean? Well, what he's talking about, people, is he is talking about the word presence, the presence of God. So the blood covenant restores God's presence to us. That is the one thing that the blood covenant did that, was, that the old covenant was incapable of doing that Jesus accomplished was that it restored the presence of God inside you, inside your life. So why is that awesome? Well, it's awesome because rather than teaching us about God's will, rather than telling us what his will is, he sends his spirit into us and fills us with the wisdom and the power to do his will. And that's way better, praise the Lord. Way, way better because we stumbled, we staggered. Now, Moses had at least some kind of idea of the limitations that he had as well as all of, of, of God's people that were under the old covenant. And so in, in Exodus chapter 33, when he's about to uh, turn the leadership over to Joshua and they're going to go into the land of Canaan, he's having a conversation the, uh, before they go into the promised land. And he is having a conversation with God and God says to him, my presence will go with you. Now notice the term with you. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, well, if your presence does not go with me, then do not bring us up out of this place. Hallelujah. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew I need God's presence to go with me? or this is going to end badly, this is not going to work out. So he, he realized that. Now, what I want to do is I want to share with you what is different about the blood covenant is that he literally puts the presence of the Holy Spirit into our life and the impact that that has and the effect that that should have upon our desire for God and on our relationship with him and our relationship with life, quite frankly. Now, in the old covenant... The Old Testament, out of, out of which Moses said, now if your presence doesn't go with us like the cloud of glory or the pillar of fire, then don't send us. Because the only way we're defeating these enemies is because you're parting the Red Sea and uh, you're uh, sending man and feeding us and you're doing different things to display your power through us. And so if that doesn't continue to happen, we don't really want to continue on into the promised land. 
So the old covenant relied upon our own abilities to understand God's will, to act upon his word, to come up with the courage, the faith, the bravery. I mean, we could to an extent, but there was always a limit. And God's purpose and God's will for your life always exceeds that limit of your ability to obey and your ability to fall. No matter what your intentions are, you could say, oh man, I'm, God has freshly broken my heart. I'm yielded to him and everything. But you realize that unless the Holy Spirit is doing the work in you, Philippians 2.13 says, for it's God who's at work in you to will and to accomplish his good purpose. You and I both know we're not going to last through the day before something untoward is going to come out of our mouth or we're going to fall short. So I want to call your attention to the phrase that God said when he said, I'm going to send a new covenant and I'm going to install myself. I'm going to put my presence back into them. Instead of my presence going with them, I'm going to put my presence in them. And when he's talking about that contrast between the two covenants, he says that old covenant was back in the day when I led them by the hand. Did you catch that phrase? When I led them by the hand, although I was a husband to them, they broke my covenant, even though I led them by the hand. That phrase, led them by the hand, shows that God physically took the slaves of Egypt by the hand. The pillar of fire, the Red Sea opening, the uh, cockroaches running all over, uh, crazy all over Egypt, uh, the death angel, all of those physical things that happened. That's God taking them by the hand. And God said, I was a husband to them. The nations could see, wow, Israel, she has a husband, and he's a mighty God. So it was really awesome. We read it, and sometimes we foolishly say, I wish I could have lived back in those days when those amazing things were happening. But what did he say? He said, they broke my covenant. They broke my covenant. Do you remember the Pharisees said to Jesus, well, you know what? If you would show us a sign, or if we could see one raised from the dead, he said, even if you see one raised from the dead, you won't believe because your heart is locked down. Your heart's not open. See, that's the problem. You don't have the love of God in your heart. You don't have desire for God in your heart. And that's your problem. So no matter what miracles you see or no matter what happens in the natural room, I could take you by the hand, but by the time we get there, you'll be blind and you'll be just a dead lump I'll be dragging along. And that's what Israel was. And that's why they eventually ended up defeated, not just once, not just twice, but again and again and again. And they were only an example of the human race. So leading us by the hand did not work. He said, my covenant they broke, even though I was a husband to them. So the new covenant is supposed to produce something even better than God taking us by the hand. And God saying, I'm their God. That's right, step aside. Something even better. Hallelujah. Are you hungry or thirsty for what's better than that? I, I know I am. Hank, how about it? Amen? Glory to God. Um, <clears throat> so when the, when the blood covenant brings Jesus into the world, he doesn't come to be a more persuasive leader than Moses, but he comes to fill you with his spirit. That was the whole reason Jesus came. He didn't come to be a higher example, a more persuasive example, a more inspirational leader. Though the, the, the disciples were ecstatic, they loved having him with them, but they didn't realize that's not going to be enough. They couldn't figure out why is Jesus just being, I mean, he should just run for president. He'll, who's going to run against him? He's, he can beat anybody. 
and we're just all going to be happy. The whole world will come to him. But that was not what the blood covenant was all about. And so God was after something else. He was wanting to restore this word presence, presence to us. And that's what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about. It's bringing the presence of God tangibly into our lives. And so when John the Baptist prepared the people for the appearance of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus, he set up the invitation for Jesus to appear by telling the people what Jesus' mission was going to be. And you know what he said to them? He said, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You'll know he's the Messiah because he's the one who will fill you, baptize you, immerse you in the Holy Spirit. That's the whole purpose of Jesus Christ, the new creation of the blood covenant, the result of Genesis 15 and 17 and 22, the Abrahamic covenant as we call it. When Jesus arrives, he's better than Isaac. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. His whole purpose in coming is to literally come, pay the penalty for our sin, rise up, sit on the throne of God as, as a man as well as God, and to send His Spirit into our freshly cleansed by His blood hearts and put the presence back into your life. Hallelujah. So the blood covenant didn't provide us with Jesus Christ to save us, but to fill us. If you think that Jesus is just about saving you, you're really missing out on the, the full purpose of his mission. His mission is complete only when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't let them leave Jerusalem to go be examples to the world until they had received the power from on high. Um, Another example is that on the night of, of Jesus' betrayal, they're in the upper room having the Last Supper, and the disciples become depressed when Jesus reveals that he's going to be leaving them. Now, he's been dropping not-so-subtle hints all along, but, you know, we don't want to hear what we don't want to hear. And so when he finally makes it plain, I am leaving, they just <laughs> sunk down, they're depressed, and... Um, this is the little description of that scene of what happened. Jesus said, But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, Well, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled, notice that, filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you. It is necessary for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So they're upset because he won't be leading them by the hand anymore. That's exactly what they had been experiencing for three and a half years, was Jesus leading them by the hand. And they loved it. It was awesome. How may, who among us has not said, if I had a time machine, one of my very first trips would be I would go back and I would hang with Jesus 
and the disciples. Oh, to see him do it, just to be there. So I would be closer than any of the other guys with him, and I'd be up there snuggled up by him and talking with him and fellowship. Oh, it would be so wonderful. You have no idea. Something more wonderful than that has already happened to you. And you are in a much more wonderful and more powerful position right now than they were when they had his presence with them They were upset because he wasn't going to be leading them by the hand, but Jesus knew leading people by the hand doesn't work. Ultimately, they don't transform, they don't change, because what, what is causing their failure is a lack of the presence of God. It's not believing in God, or it's not having an intensity of faith or an intensity of devotion. Many of these believers that we read about in the Old Testament and, and even in the Gospels were intensely passionate about living for God and wanting to please Him, but intensity of purpose or of faith does not transform you. In fact, Jesus said, no matter how hard you try, you can't turn one gray black. I can personally testify that that's the truth. So you can't, no matter how much, it, it's sincerity, there's things that you need that are beyond your sincerity. We need the presence back into our lives. Can you say amen? Amen. So they were upset, but Jesus calms them down, at least temporarily, by revealing to him them that his purpose in leaving was so he can fully complete and fulfill the blood covenant by filling them with his spirit. I'm sure if I'd have been there, I'd have been just as apprehensive as they were, thinking, well, I don't know what good that is. I want you here. Because under, you know, under his great shadow and walking behind his great shoulders and the power and the presence of God that was with him must have been wonderfully comforting. But see, the idea of having the presence of God in us all of a sudden makes us the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's the scary thought. Can I, can I do this? You know, can I, can I be that vessel? Jesus was so perfectly yielded. But see, what they didn't know is that once God's people get filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to live a life of continuous fillings with the Holy Spirit. Because on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But there were times afterwards they kept assembling, they kept praying, they just didn't get a fill up and go on through life. But they kept going back to the spout where the glory comes out, as they say. They kept going back and praising and worshiping God and kept being filled over. In fact, God gave gifts of the Spirit to them so they could continue to fill and drink and fill and overflow and replenish themselves with the presence of the Lord. Remember, we're not talking about God's presence going with you. We're talking about God's presence being in you. And this is what a lot of believers miss is there is the facet and this is the crux of the blood covenant, the facet of the presence of God being in us. And that is not regulated by God's desire to be with you. It's regulated by your desire to be filled. That's what, G that's what Paul said to the Ephesians. Don't be drunk with wine wherein it's excess. 
I know it's a great help sometimes when you're afraid. You can just take a couple drinks and all of a sudden you're bold and brave and your nerves are steadied. He said, but that's not going to work. Don't be drunk with wine where it's excess. That bravery is going to wear off. But be filled with the Spirit. Speaking among yourselves. So it was not just a personal thing. It was a community thing. It's a collective thing. Notice that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost fell, he didn't send them all to isolation booths. They weren't in 120 separate rooms, everyone in their own little bedroom by their bed, getting filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all together. Not only that, they were in one accord. And you know, why did it take them several days in the upper room before the Holy Spirit could fall? It was the Holy Ghost sitting up there going, I'm ready. Jesus said, not Pentecost yet. No. I believe that it took those days, those hours for that 120 to get to thirst, to get to that quantum, uh, uh, that, that level, that, uh, uh, that, that place where they were all thirsty and wide open for the prayer. You know, we don't walk around in that attitude, do we? You go out each day into the world, in the middle of the day, you're probably not panting like the deer for the water, going, oh, Lord, I just want the baptism of your spirit, your anointing flowing in me. No, you're thinking about, I wish I could get my boss off my back or, you know, one, one just natural thing after another. But we come aside just like Jesus went up to the mountains to pray at night. We come aside and we get together with brothers and sisters and we say, Father, refill us. Send your spirit. It takes that intensity of focus to say, Lord, see, just walking around having a need for the anointing of God does not get you filled. Walking around having a mild desire or being interested in the things of God is not going to get you there. It's not until there's the expressed thirst and hunger for the things of God, for the anointing that the presence of God begins to come. Can you say praise the Lord, somebody? So the disciples, you know, they loved having Jesus' presence with them, but he came for us to have his presence in us, not with us, but in us. With us, yes, but in us, essentially. So Jesus came for us to have, I'm going to step out and say this, Hope you get it. Pretty sure you will. You're, most of you are a little smarter than I am, but toss it out there anyway because there's a wonderful thought somewhere if you could just crack this open, and that is that Jesus came for you and I to have his spirit-filled experience. His spirit-filled experience. We are sons and daughters in him. The life that I now live, Paul said, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. Jesus took off his, the experience that he had at the River Jordan when the Holy Ghost came upon him. Just like when Elijah and the, the chariot took him up, in, Elijah into heaven, and he had told Elisha, now if you keep your eyes on me and watch when I go up, you'll have that double portion of the anointing that was upon me can be upon you, but you've got to watch me when I go up. So 500 of them are standing there watching Jesus go up. And just like Elijah's mantle fell on the ground, Elisha picks it up, walks back to the River Jordan, smites the water and says, where is the God of Elijah? Boom, the river parts 
the anointing is there, and Elisha goes on and performs 24 major miracles where in the life of Elijah, 12 miracles had occurred. So there was literally a double portion of uh, the anointing on Elisha's life. So the, Jesus says to us in John 14, 12, the works that I do, you shall do. And greater. Now, that verse ought to be making you and I painfully hungry. We ought to be saying, where are those works in my life? Am I doing the things Jesus did or better? And, you know, I, I get it. I understand. We say, well, you know, raising children. I don't know that Jesus was raising any kids. And, uh, you know, sharing the gospel with the unsafe. Don't want to trivialize or minimize that. Um, but come on, can we be honest? Jesus said, the works that I do. He, knew, he, wasn't, um, he, he, was, he was not, um, uh, um, you know, uh, making a play on words. He meant exactly what he said. The works that I do, you shall do, and greater. So perhaps, of course, leading the lost to Jesus, that's a, that's a greater work. But so... Jesus said, I'm going to leave my mantle. I'm going to let it fall. So they watch him go up, and on the day of Pentecost, that mantle falls. Bam! The church picks up the mantle, says, where is the God of Elijah? Where is Jesus Christ? Well, Peter jumps up and says, I think he's in me. <laughs> men of Israel, men of Judah, men of Jerusalem, men of, of Israel, here. And he opens his mouth, 3,000 people get saved. Now, that's what I call an altar call. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And, and it doesn't just stop there. A couple days later, 5,000 get saved. And not only that, signs and wonders are taking place. Peter's walking to church, and, and they're, they're dropping lame and blind people on the sidewalk. And as the shadow's passing over them, their eyes are opening, and they're getting up and walking. What is that? It's called presence. They were filled. What was that baptism? It put the presence of Jesus back in them. Now, you're not going to get the presence of God in your life until you're ready to put your own presence aside. So if you're one of these people that's like, you're, I've, I've got a right to be me, and your favorite song is, I've got to be me, I've got to be me. If you're not finished celebrating you, then you might as well just hold off because... The presence of God is not going to be manifest in your life if you're still partying over yourself. But when you're done with your own presence and you're thirsty and you want the presence of God, that, that baptism will come. People say, how, how do you get baptized in the Holy Ghost? You just need to be thirsty, hungry. You need to want the presence of God in your life. And so, hallelujah, Paul even says, oh, by the way, at the River Jordan, John like I said, reveals Jesus is, you'll know that it's Jesus because he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus presents himself to John, says, I'm, I'm ready to be baptized. John says, oh, oh, oh wait a minute. Ah, this is a baptism of repentance. These waters are the waters of repentance. I need you to baptize me. I don't need you to be baptized. But Jesus responds to him and says, no, he said, we must fulfill all righteousness. Now, theologians have, have tried to, and I think in a, a, a rather corny way, have stretched to try to come up with a meaning and say, well, Jesus was making an example that we all need to repent. We all need to be repentful. Well, um, I, that falls short of what he was really referring to when he said we must fulfill all righteousness. He wasn't being an example of repentant sinners. 
because when he came up out of the river, you see the baptism in the water wasn't the main feature of what happened between John and Jesus. The main feature of what happened between John and Jesus was that when Jesus came out of the water, the heavens opened and the Holy Ghost came upon Jesus and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What happened? Presence came upon Jesus. You say, wait a minute, pastor. You mean he wasn't the Holy Spirit robed in flesh? Yes, he absolutely was. He is Emmanuel, God with us, the eternal word of God become flesh. He was born that way. He always was that way. So what was this Holy Ghost baptism at the River Jordan? Was it just symbolic? It was more than symbolic. And I can prove it to you by the word. It was Jesus who was God uh, 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 the Holy Spirit in flesh being mantled with the presence of God upon him, robed, mantled, so that that presence shined out from him. He didn't receive something he didn't have in him. He received what he had in him, covering him, so that from that moment on it shined out and everywhere he went, miracles started to break out. And, you know, I told you I was going to prove to you. Well, here's the proof. The very minute he gets up out of the Jordan River and walks off, demons start recognizing him. Right away, they know there's the Messiah. There he is. How did they know? They saw the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Presence. The presence was on him. He had a presence nobody else had. Somebody say amen. It was that presence that fell on the day of Pentecost. It was that which Jesus came into the world to baptize you and I with. Not just certain people, not just believers during the first century, not just men, not just women, not just people called to the ministry. Every believer, God, not want, whoever gets saved, God wants them to have the presence of God upon their life. Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, which they that believe in him afterwards should receive. Paul also reveals that we're to experience Jesus through our relationship with the Holy Spirit. When he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17, that famous verse, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things. Well, verse 16, just up before that, Paul says, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Have you ever read that and thought, that's a little peculiar. What does he mean really by that? Even though we read the Gospels and we regard him according to the flesh, we see the historic Christ, we know that he's alive today, we know we have, if we've received him as Lord, we know that we have, have his life within us. Paul is saying there is a higher relationship, there's a higher way in which we relate with him. We don't just regard him as the historic Christ, we know him experientially through the interaction of the Holy Spirit in our thoughts, in our heart, and in our own life. Because he came not just for us to receive his life, but to experience his presence through us. Can you say amen? So Jesus rises from the dead, not just to elevate your position with God, but to elevate the level of God's presence and his power in your life. 
Let me uh, share with you a couple of definitions that I looked up and found on the word presence. I want you to think about this as you think about the Holy Spirit in your life and, and the way the God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the impact it should be having through you. So here are some definitions of the word presence. The ability per, to project a sense of ease, poise, or self-assurance. Not your ease and poise and self-assurance, but the ease and poise and self-assurance of the Lord Jesus projected by the Holy Spirit. That's where those qualities come from. Another definition is the fact that someone or something is in a place. The woman with the issue of blood. Here comes this teacher from Galilee, but she knows there's a presence more than just a man or perhaps a prophet from Galilee. There's a presence. The fact that someone or something is in a place, you ought to be able to get on the bus and people sense, they see there's a presence. Jesus is in this place. Another one, the quality or manner of a person's bearing. The quality and manner of my bearing isn't going to lead anyone to Jesus. In fact, the quality and manner of my bearing may hinder some people from getting saved. God, I hope not, but I, I, I have to say I wouldn't fall down stunned if, if I found out that some people were hindered. Um, be brokenhearted over it, but it's entirely possible. But I know that the presence of the Holy Spirit will never be a barrier to anyone. In fact, the more I am filled with the Holy Spirit and let Him shine through me, the more I can be assured that the quality of Jesus bearing will be seen through your life and through my life. Amen? How about this? A person's ability to make their character known to others. Jesus wants to make his character known to others. He doesn't want you just running around and witnessing, doing witnessing. He wants you to run around being a witness. Let your light so shine before men. You can't do that except through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right, Gene? You, you just can't do it. You just can't do it because you say, I'm going to go around, I'm going to press some tracks into people, and, and I'm going to show them I'm cool, and, and I'm going to impress them. I'll be a bridge, you know, and they'll, they'll see that Christians are all right, and uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll knock down any uh, uh, prejudices they have about church. You know, they've got hang-ups. I'll help to assuage those fears and all that nonsense that the Christians get into. That if you really want to see people come to Jesus Christ, they need to see the presence in our life. Praise the Lord. Here's the last one definition. Um, a quality that makes people notice or admire you even when you're not speaking. That's what I call presence, shining. Now, we know in the natural, people walk in, you know, Hollywood stars, important people, they walk around and they know they've got a presence and they turn it on and they enter the room and it's like, mm-hmm. Um, so, and we know there's other people who are just brokenhearted. They go through life and they're invisible. They have no presence. Everything is just locked down within them. They can walk into a mall, into a crowd. They can even go to a family reunion. Nobody talks to them. How do you not get talked to at a family reunion? How do you go be with your loved ones and, and everyone forgot that you were even there when they're talking about the pictures on Facebook a week later and you're not in any of those pictures. 
You got no presence. Nobody even bothered to take your picture. So we know that in the world, presence is a real thing. There's people that know how to kind of make their soul shine. But we're not talking about your soul shining. We're talking about you and I being filled with all. You know, there are people who were that invisible family member that nobody wanted to have. They got filled with the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden, they're like the Apostle Paul. You know, they just emanate Christ. They're leading people to Jesus and stuff is happening through their life. That's what we're talking about. The presence of God in our life. I love this. I, I, in looking up definitions, I saw some synonyms of, um, of the word presence. And I just brought one of them with me today because it's just so awesome. It's the word discoverability. Presence is discoverability. The world needs to discover Jesus. And the church better get back to the Holy Ghost. I don't say that in an, and I don't mean to say that in a, um, a, an aggressive or uh, condemning way, but you, you understand this one, them preacherisms that you throw out. So the reality is, is we do need to get back to what John the Baptist said. He will baptize you in the Holy Ghost. In fact, we need that baptism every day, every week. We need that feeling because there's where the discoverability of Jesus comes from. It comes from the Holy Ghost in our life. Hallelujah. You said, well, I don't know, man. I'm in one of the, I go to one of those churches where they're into that discoverability of the Holy Ghost. They're just weird. They've got strange people. They attract strange people. And it's people floating around doing stuff. It's a little bizarre. Yeah, but, you know, I've been in those churches all my life. And you would be surprised. Hallelujah. If they're really rooted in Christ, really rooted in Jesus, through all of that different characterization and everything, I mean God is moving and people are coming to Jesus. And he is manifesting himself. Lives are being transformed. He is a wonder worker. Can you say amen? Let me say this to you. Here's another challenging thought, and then we're going to close and have prayer together. When Jesus lives in you as Lord of your life, <clears throat> he wants his presence back. He doesn't want to live in you without the Holy Spirit. Of course, I'm, I'm, that that's probably sounds um, a little provocative because he, you can't be separated from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the Father and Jesus are one. But the reality is that he does not want to be in you without the Holy Spirit filling you. And he wants his experience as he walked through this world to be his experience in you. How's that sound? Does that make sense to you? He wants that presence of the Holy Spirit flowing out of you. Because the baptism in the Holy Spirit is how he identifies, how he's identified by people. You know, you being a Christian isn't going to get anybody saved. But Jesus being in you, people are going to get saved. Amen. Nobody's going to come to Jesus because no one's going to come to Jesus just because you're a Christian any more than the evil spirits left out of the demon-possessed man when the sons of Sceva said, we adjure you by Jesus Christ who Paul preaches. They said, yeah, well, I know Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? Beat him up and drove him out wounded and naked. And so... Your, your Christianity does not open those doors. Jesus wants to be in you alive and full of power and life. So whatever it takes to get there, that's what we need to do. And you know what it takes? Filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Jesus said this, and I know you're aware of it, but I, 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 I have to read it. Uh, John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, that great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he's at the Last Supper. I've got to go so the Holy Spirit can come and you can be filled. The reason for the Holy Spirit being seen as flowing out of your belly, you know, could have been that the, when you receive the Spirit, it will flow out of your mouth. Or when you receive the Spirit, it will flow through your eyes. If you receive it, it will flow out of your... Why did he say belly? Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Now, I've heard people say, well, it's because your belly is the center of your being. And he, he wants, God wants you to have him like a little locket tucked away in the center of your being. Nonsense. It has nothing to do with the center of your being. The reason Jesus said out of your belly or out of your heart will flow the Holy Spirit is because that's where your hunger comes from. Your belly is the place of hunger. Your heart is the place of desire. That's what Jesus is saying. Hallelujah. So the more you desire hunger for the Holy Spirit, the more Jesus is going to flow out of your life. Can't put it any better than that. And have you ever noticed that spirit-filled people always want more of the spirit? People get spirit-filled, they're never satisfied after that. They may be grateful. They may be happy. But they're not, that's it. I'm good. I'm good. You could take a break, but you start drying out. People that are spirit-filled always want more of the spirit. Because that's what the baptism in the Holy Spirit does. It stirs and keeps you thirsty for the things of God. It keeps you thirsty for the presence of God. The very moment, like a barometer, that you're feeling the temperature of the, the fire. He said he baptized you with fire. When that fire starts to cool down, the first thing that happens is you start feeling a little naked. You start feeling a little cold. You start feeling the need. I need to get back before Jesus and say, I need more of the Holy Spirit. Let's get this fire stirred up. And when I, we lived up north, I used to have a coal stove. And what a job it was getting that fire going back up again in the morning or restarting it. So the fact is that there is a baptism that Jesus has sent of the Holy Spirit upon the church, upon us as individuals. But in our lifetime, there are many fillings. Our life ought to be a series of fillings. We ought to stay filled, hallelujah, because that desire for more of his evident presence in our life is what makes Jesus manifest through us. And if you're brave and you're willing to be called a fool for Christ, if you're willing for people to say, well, they're a little kooky, you know, I think they speak in tongues, or I think that, but gee, that person laying hands on that person over there, or you're on the job, and you got your little Christian thingy on the desk, and, or whatever it is, and uh, every chance you get, you're sh the point is, if you're willing to be a fool for Christ, and you're willing to let the fire of God burn in your life, you will have an exciting life. 
You, will have, you could be a bus driver, you could be an astronaut, you could be a, a, a fighter jet driver, uh, you could be a, a, a raiser of children, whatever you want to be in this life. But I'll tell you, you could have a powerful, on fire, awesome life, but you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd like you to close your Bible stand up with me this morning.